Well, good morning, Harvest. Let's try that again. Good morning, Harvest. Good morning. Do you have your Bibles? Let me see it. Hold it up. Show me your Bible. All right. If you have a copy of God's Word, you know what? I don't see one electronic Bible in the entire house. Maybe you've just learned to not hold that one up. It's all good. It's okay. Take your copy of God's Word, both in Lancaster uh, and at our Myerstown campus as well. Good morning to you. If you would, turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 8. Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 8. And even as you're turning there, let me pray yet again. Father, thank you for the morning. We, we praise you for your grace today. We sense it in this room. We sense it upon our Myerstown campus as well. And so, God, we would ask now as we have sung to you, as we've come before your throne in prayer, we've petitioned you. We've lifted high the name of your son, Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is, was, and still is to come. God, we come to this book believing that you have a word of truth for us today. It won't be captured in my sense, that's for, well, that's for sure, but it'll come from the pages of this book. So God, take your divine, inspired, eternal word and brand it deeply into our hearts this morning, I would pray. Protect us even from ourselves as we seek after you, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of Harvest said, amen. Amen. Well, we're in our series on the gospel of Mark. It's called New Beginnings, Finding Confidence from the Start. From the start of what? From the start of Jesus' ministry as he walked upon this earth. And so if we as a church need confidence in our faith, if we need uh, clarity in our purpose, we're, we're finding it by going back to the beginning, back to when Jesus uh, was training and equipping his disciples uh, to take on uh, this mission uh, to take forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today we're on this, finding confidence in the provision for the mission, finding confidence in the provision for the mission, uh, say provision. Now, I want you to think of something good in your life. Uh, do you have a picture of something good in your life? Think of it. Do you have it? Do you, do, you, do you have it? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it is a thing. God's word says this about uh, our Father's provision. Every good, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Whatever that good thing was that you just thought of, uh, that came from God. Do you believe that? Now, here's the thing. Everything comes from God, both the tangible and the intangible, and so we know this as well. You were formed in their inner parts. You were knitted together in your mother's womb. And we praise God for this because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are the works and my soul knows it very well. So the tangible things that we have that are good in this earth, God gave us those, but also the intangible things that reside within us. Your skill, your character, your abilities, your gifts, if you will, they all came from God. Now, on one level, this is so encouraging to think about. And then at another level, I'm like, how in the world did I miss out on that gift? Uh, maybe, maybe you can relate to this. I mean, sometimes it feels like I missed out on one of these gifts or skills or abilities altogether, and then uh, proportionally, I was like doubly gifted in another sense. Uh, maybe you know somebody who was doubly gifted with like the gift of confidence. Anyone have tons of confidence? But that same person uh, didn't uh, receive the skill of singing. 
And you're like, how did this happen? And uh, there's a reason why I sit on the front row. It's not merely because it's the closest to the platform and it's easy for me to get up here. It's so that my voice doesn't pass by anybody else's ears on the way to Jesus. Uh, He says, make a joyful noise, and I'm just so good at that. You see, in one sense, it's like I didn't get any of the skill set or ability. Then in another sense, it's like I got partially. I got partially. Uh, maybe you can think of something that you feel like I got. I got partially this ability. Like, I'm like partially handy. Anyone partially, partially handy? Like, I know how to work a tape measure. I know there's 16 little marks on there. Just count them between the inch. Th- anyway, keep going. Um, I, can, I can swing a hammer. I've only blackened my nails a few times. I'm not with paint, but with... Yes, what, by bludgeoning. I, I typically know the, the dangerous, I can tell the dangerous end of most tools. But you see, when it comes to being handy, when it comes to being partially gifted, uh, there's one uh, thing that I haven't been gifted in at all. There's one thing I won't even come near as it pertains to being handy, and that is uh, the realm of electricity. Um, I kind of have an aversion for invisible things that can kill me. Now, here's the thing with electricity. It's I fear this thing. I've never seen electricity, uh, but I've seen the, uh, the effects of electricity. Are you with me? But you see, the Lord, he provides, he gives us provision with reason, with rational sense. And while I've never seen electricity, because God has given me rational sense to discern cause and effect, I believe in this intangible thing, which I've never seen, called electricity, because um, every time I've taken and plug something in for it to work, um, I, I, they tell me there's electricity running through this cord. And every time I go to plug something in, I be- so done believing in electricity right now. In front of all of you, how embarrassing is this for you to say, look, I'm going to show you all the effects of electricity, and here it is, how we would never stop believing. We would just discern what? Something must be wrong. It's probably operator's error. You see, just because we don't see it, just because we go after it and it's not there, doesn't mean we turn our back on the reality of that thing. Catch this. God has given us the provision of both reason, rational sense, and faith. Catch this. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for. It is the certainty of things that are unseen. You see, I believe in electricity because I continue to tap into It's invisible power and able then to garner the physical and the visible effects. Similarly, I have faith in my Lord. Why? First of all, because the Bible tells me that everything that I see, 
everything that I possess, everything that I have came into being from an invisible maker. I have faith in God. He's given me the provision of faith and I, and I tap into it and I, I believe it because every time I reach for the power source of my God, I see the tangible effects. Do you? When we read his scriptures, our minds are renewed. When we pray, spiritual mountains are moved. And when we worship, our hearts are restored. You see, the Lord has granted us the provision of both reason, of both reason and faith. Reason and faith are not mutually exclusive. It's not like, well, I can rationally prove this or I'm just going to have faith in this. These things are not mutually exclusive. God has granted us the provision for our rational sense and faith to coexist. For listen, faith is the rational conviction of things unseen. Faith is the rational conviction of things unseen. Now hear this, faith is the way we make rational sense of intangible things. Faith is the way, got your thinking caps on? Faith is the way that we make rational sense out of intangible things. I can't see it, I can't, I'm not quite sure how it works, but my faith is the rational bridge that is built between what I see tangibly and what I can't quite get my hands around. Faith is the rational bridge that enables us as believers, as we come to God's word, we read it here, and so we say, listen, the objective truth of God's word provides for me the tangible, objective truths that enable me to make rational sense of intangible things. You see, faith is a provision. Faith is a provision. It's a gift from the Lord. It's a gift from the Lord. And, and the gift of faith is a provision for the mission. And gift is all, faith is also a gift of the mission. It's for the mission and it's of the mission. Here, there's a funda at the fundamental level of mission is faith. Because without faith, there is no mission. And without the mission, there's no calling anyone to faith. At the fundamental level of the mission of God, it's a mission for faith. It's a calling to faith. It's an acting out of faith. And there is no mission lest God provides us the provision of faith. This assurance, this assurance of things to hope for. This belief in things that are unseen. Where does it come from? It comes from God. Where does your faith come from? Say God. And so today Jesus is going to equip his disciples on how to respond and how to properly receive this provision of faith that is granted to us by the Father. Today we're going to see four responses to the Lord's provision of faith. Are you, are you ready uh, to See these responses? Are you ready to be strengthened in your response of faith? If you are, say, let's see it. Four responses to the provision of faith. Here's the first one. 
The first response when the provision of faith is offered is not a great one in our text today. It's actually this, faith is denied by demands. The Lord offers faith and the religious leaders take a look. Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. Now, you remember the background of the text last week? Uh, we've been looking for the last two weeks. Jesus is on his Gentile mission. He travels way out of his way, out of his way to Tyre and Sidon. He reaches out unto the Gentiles. He actually heals a mute man. You remember then he doubles over and he does a, the feeding of the 4,000 miracle. It mirrors the feeding of the 5,000 miracle, except for the people group is different. The 5,000 was primarily to Jews. The 4,000 was primarily to Gentiles. Verse 10, so after this miracle, and immediately then Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Damanutha. Now verse 11 Apparently, he barely gets out of the vote, and the, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. Do you all remember the Pharisees? It was only a chapter ago, a few messages ago, uh, that Jesus uh, would have looked uh, some of these Pharisees in the eye, and it was the whole hand-washing debacle. You remember the hand-washing debacle? I can't believe that you're letting your disciples eat food with unwashed hands. You remember what Jesus says uh, to those religious leaders? He calls them what? hypocrites. So uh, show me uh, on your um, kind of your acceptance level of like how excited and accepting are the Pharisees right now of Jesus? Like on a scale of like, yo, let's be bros to like, we don't like you anymore. Ready? One, two, three. We're down here. Uh, Jesus is not the Pharisees' favorite person for sure, and so uh, they come uh, with their bazooka arguments loaded, and they, they start to fire at Jesus. It says here they began to argue with him, and what were they arguing with him about? Look, Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign that was from heaven. They're like, Whatever, whatever, are you doing these, these miracles? We've, we've seen your type come through here before. We've seen other false messiahs come and go. And so here's what we need from you. Here's what we need from you. What we need from you is actually a sign from heaven. None of these wimpy miracles. We want like something that is undeniable. Come on, bring some fire out the sky. Get the manna flowing here or something. We want something that is unbelievably undeniable. This is from God the Father. Open up the heavens. Now, if I'm Jesus right now, which obviously I'm not, and it's a really good thing that I'm not, because I would totally bring down fire from heaven just to scorch the backsides. Why are they asking for this sign? These guys have seen Jesus perform miracles, but you see, they're not asking for a miracle. The Greek word for miracle is dynamis. They're not asking for a miracle. What they're asking for is a sign. Semion, it's an authoritative act. It's an authoritative act of God. Why are they asking for it? Look at what the text says. 
They're seeking uh, him a sign, from him a sign, from heaven. Why? Why? What's the word in your Bible? They're, they're, seeking a, they're seeking a sign to what? What's the word in your Bible? Test. Test. The Greek word for test here is actually tempt. They're asking for a sign to tempt Jesus. Does it sound familiar from another passage that we um, studied a while back where uh, Jesus is tempted by the adversary? Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Come on. Turn the stone into bread and come on, look, I'll give you all that you see and come on, throw yourself down off of this temple. Here's what I want you to see, that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who was tested in every way. Jesus' testing was not merely accomplished in the desert. What I want you to see here is he was, he was tempted or he was tested amongst the, his ultimate adversary, but even amongst the religious leaders, the testing continued because you have a high priest who can sympathize with your weaknesses. And the testing for me in this moment would be like, I'm tired of your, I'm tired of your nonsense. I'm tired of you questioning me. I'm tired of all the doubting. I'm tired of performing miracle after miracle and sermon after sermon and you guys still not hearing it. And wouldn't you be like, come on, heaven, rent, fire, fall. How many sermons must I preach and how many miracles need I perform and how many loaves of bread do I need to multiply? Fortunately, Jesus has a lot more self-control than I do. You see, Jesus came only to do the will of the Father, and the time for his identity's full disclosure had not come. And so demonstrating self-control, look at verse 12. And he sighs deeply. And he sighs deeply. Why is he sighing? He's sighing because he knows the condition of the religious leader's heart. He's sighing because he knows that no matter what he does, nothing is actually going to change their hearts. He sighs because he knows. He knows that they are not interested in true faith at all. But yet here's the provision of faith. Lying out before them, the provision of faith. Jesus himself is standing before him. What do they ask for? Give us more. Give us a sign. Not no wimpy miracle either. Remember this about miracles. We're building a theology on this, I believe, through our study of Mark. Remember this, miracles, context after context, situation after situation were performed in the presence of faith. Miracles were performed in the presence of faith and to confirm the faith of those upon whom the miracles were performed. You see, the religious leaders in this context are completely denying the provision of faith altogether by demonstrating a demand. By demanding, they're showing that there is no faith at all. Note this, if you're, one of the, if you're a person who needs to see it to believe it, if you're a see it to believe it kind of person, what this says is even when you see it, you won't believe it. 
If you're a see-it-to-believe-it type of person, what this passage is making abundantly clear is that you won't receive it and you won't believe it even if you see it. Verse 12 continues on, and Jesus says this, and he sighed deeply in his, in his spirit. Why does this generation need a sign? Why does this generation need a sign? Are you looking for a sign? Have you stepped away perhaps from your faith because you were looking for something specific? It didn't happen the way that you wanted it to happen. And all of a sudden here you sit empty handed and you're looking and you're saying, no, I can't believe. I won't believe. Faith is the way by which we make rational sense of intangible things. God is offering you the provision of faith. And you're like, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And what we're saying today is this. You're not going to be able to see it until you believe it. I want to see it to believe it. And what this text is making abundantly clear is this. You won't believe it or you won't see it until you accept the provision of faith and believe it. Why does this generation need a sign? Why do they have to test me? I'm graciously performing miracle after miracle in their midst. But it's got to be done on their terms and in their way and at their beckoning before they'll believe it. Verse 12, Jesus says, this generation is not going to receive a sign. This generation is not going to receive a sign. Why do they need a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And in the cross-reference text in Matthew 16, verse 4, he says this, the only sign that will actually be given is the sign of Jonah. But that sign's not coming for a while. For what is the sign of Jonah? That he would be buried in a tomb for three days, that he'd be resurrected and brought back to life. That's the only sign you're going to need. The last I checked, our generation has that sign. And with that, Jesus says, why does this generation need a sign? No sign's going to be given to them except for the sign of Jonah. And he drops the mic and he walks away. Why does this generation need a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went away to the other side. Boom! That's all I got. Listen, demanding a sign is not a proper response to the provision of faith. 
It's okay to desire a miracle in faith, but it's not okay to demand a miracle for faith. It's okay to desire a miracle, if you will, in faith. Like, Lord God, I'm beseeching you. Lord God, I'm, I'm praying for you to reach my friend. Lord God, I'm asking for you to relieve this cancer. Lord God, I'm asking for you to heal this friend. And, I, and I'm doing so in faith. We see precedent for that over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. But if you're taking that good thing and you're saying, I'm not going to believe until that's done, I'll give you the blessing, Lord God, of believing in you if you bless me with is a really bad, bad, bad deal. The grace of God comes by faith, not by demand. The grace of God comes by faith, not by demand. And so the religious leaders are demanding, and in their demanding, they're denying the very provision, which leads to the second, the second way that faith is not so well received in this context, and it's this. The provision of faith, secondly, then, is diluted by deception. God offers us the provision. The religious leaders deny it by, de- by demand. Now, uh, this, Jesus' very own disciples are going to dilute it. Take a look at the text, verse 14. Look back at verse 13. It says, And he left them, and he got into the boat again, and he went to the other side. Now, verse 14. And they had forgotten to bring with them bread, for they had only one loaf. What is it with the bread? Anyone? Anyone? had only one loaf with them uh, in the boat. This is why, this is why, like, inductive Bible study, this is why, like, I think he dropped the mic and why he's like, peace out. Because, like, they forgot the bread. Like, oh, we better hurry up. Got to catch up to Jesus and get up in the boat because he's out of here. And so, apparently, they left so abruptly that, that they don't, ain't got no bread. And so, here's what you have to ask yourself. How in the world do we go from, like, feeding 4,000 people seven hamperfuls of bread left over, and all we got left now is one measly loaf of Wonder Bread. And that was before the invention of sliced bread, by the way. It's a bad deal right here. And so here they are, the disciples, going back and forth. I didn't forget the bread. You forgot the bread. You didn't forget the bread. No, you forgot the bread. Who forgot the bread? You forgot the bread. I didn't forget the bread. I'm telling you, I didn't forget the bread. You forgot the bread. Bread, 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 bread. You see, it would have been the disciples' responsibility to grab the bread, not Jesus's. And so while they're bickering over the bread, Jesus chimes in. Note this. Look, look. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He's like, come on, guys. I don't know what you're talking about over here. Just know this. Don't fall into the trap of what you just saw. Don't fall into the trap of the leaven. Every time leaven is mentioned in the scriptures, leaven's got a bad rap in the Bible. Do you ever recognize that? Every time leaven's mentioned, it's not a good thing. A little leaven 
kind of raises the whole lump and makes the whole thing bad, right? So he's like, don't, 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 don't be bit by the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Don't go about demanding a sign for your provision of faith. Don't go about making faith all about you and all about you and all about your needs and all about your demands and all about what you want and all about what you, 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 you. And what are they doing in this context right now? I didn't forget the bread. You forgot the bread. He's like, don't demand a sign. And what are they in the business of doing? Working up the need for another sign because they only got one loaf of bread. And this is the amazing thing. Jesus does not say beware very many times in the New Testament. And so I'm thinking if Jesus Christ himself is saying, yo, caution, beware, you should probably lift up your eyes and tune in your ears to whatever Jesus is saying. And they're like, somebody say something. Look at the text. I didn't forget the bread. You forgot the bread. I didn't forget the bread. Where's the bread? We only got one loaf of bread. I can't believe one loaf of bread. Jesus comes in. Watch out, guys. Come on. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And it's like, it's like it almost appears in the text like they just gloss right over it. Verse 16, and they began discussing one another the fact that they had no bread. And it's verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said, Yo, hey tree, hey wall over there. How many times does Jesus have to speak before you hear? How many times you got to comb over the same truth? How often do you wake up in the morning, look into the mirror and see the condition of yourself and then walk away and forget again? Beware, beware, beware. Jesus begins to ask them a series of questions, and um, maybe we would put ourselves on the questioning end of these questions. Look at verse 17. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, all right, all right, okay, I got some questions for you guys. Here they come. Are you ready? Are you ready? You better be ready, because they're about to fly. Here they come. Well, why are you discussing the fact that we have no bread? Uh, uh, do you not, do you not yet perceive or understand? Nope. Are your hearts hardened? Yep. Have your, have, do you have eyes and not see? Yep. How about having ears? Do you not hear? Nope. Do you not remember? Apparently not. Do you not remember when I broke five loaves for 5,000? How many baskets full? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Come on, tell me, tell me. They're like 12. And the seven, and the seven hampers full for the 4,000. The seven loaves, pardon me, 
for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up then? And they were like, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? It's so easy to be hard on these guys right now, isn't it? It is so easy to be hard on these guys right now. Until you realize we studied the feeding of the 5,000 and still lack faith in the Lord. We studied the the feeding of the 4,000 just last week. And we had moments of doubt in our week this week, didn't we? How many times does God show up? How many times does God provide? How many times has God bailed you out, so to speak? And yet we question, and yet we question, and yet we question, and yet we focus on what we don't have. We focus on what we don't have. They're not focused on having one loaf of bread. They're focused on having only one loaf of bread. They're not focused on the fact that they have one loaf of bread. They're focused on the fact that they have only one loaf of bread. They're focused on what they don't have. Jesus is like, guys, I'm trying to warn you to not allow your faith to be diluted by the self-indulgence, the self-preservation, the self-demanding teaching of the Pharisees. If we're honest with ourselves, do we have moments where we become overly fixated on just wanting more? We become overly fixated on not wanting more. So-and-so has a lot more, and I I just have this little thing. So-and-so drives and lives and has Doesn't God want me, want me to have more? Doesn't, doesn't he want me to have more? And doesn't, wouldn't he, if he really cares about me, wouldn't he? Where's my sign and where's my provision? Listen, the provision that God provides us is faith. And we become self-indulged and self-absorbed and without theologies of me creep in. And when we come to God with a faith that's only received by attesting, It becomes diluted. And when it becomes diluted, it then moves on to the third point. It actually becomes a faith delayed. When our faith is diluted, it then becomes a faith delayed by dullness. Take a look at the text. Again, Jesus is like in the business of dropping the mic apparently in, this, in these passages. He sighs, looks to heaven, you're not getting a sign, I'm out. He looks at his disciples, ratches off a number of questions, leaves a rhetorical one hanging, and they're gone. Look at verse 22. And then he came to Bethsaida. And then he came to Bethsaida. And he said, 
And some people brought to him a blind man. Gears are shifting now to a whole other context, but watch the theme unfold here. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he'd spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? And so here we have a miracle. Remember the miracle last week? We had a guy who was mute and couldn't really speak. And I think we called for a volunteer. So uh, why don't we just have another volunteer uh, come up here? Uh, uh, can we have a volunteer? Come on. Come on. He just volunteered you. That was so gracious of you. We would have loved that sweet pink sweatshirt, though, for sure. And so you remember last week, last week, uh, Jesus takes uh, the man and brings him close and kind of brings him in and lovingly kind of just uh, arms length away from Jesus. And remember, he puts his fingers in his ears. Remember that? Yeah. It's totally not even part of the point. It's just fun to do it again. You know what I mean? And then he stuck out his tongue. Remember that? And he touched his tongue like that. Remember? 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 This week, however, it's so much better. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. What do you see? Everything. Okay, so that's not how it went at all. You come to the text, and when Jesus goes about a miracle, a personal, intimate miracle, again, different guy, same arm length away. Different problem, same healing Savior. Same desire of the heart, heal me. Similar grouping of friends. Come on, just touch him, Jesus. Just touch him. And when you, when you think about being healed by Jesus, what is your expectation? What is your expectation? Our God is perfect. Our God does nothing half. Our, what, is, what, is, what is this when you look at the text and it says this? Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. We've been through eight chapters now. Like, when Jesus does something, he does it. I think I've actually preached that point. Like, our God, I think even last week, did we not, did, did, did the crowd not say he does all things well? He does all things well? He does all things well? And now, 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 now this healing results in a partial, a partial healing? Uh, what, what in the world is going on? How many of you believe that Jesus does all things well? Raise your hand. How many of you believe that Jesus does everything for a purpose? Verse 25. The man couldn't fully see yet because Jesus wasn't done. The man couldn't fully see yet because Jesus wasn't done. The man saw it blurry because Jesus was only partially through the miracle. 
You see, I don't have full rational sense of this yet because God isn't complete with what he's doing. He's only partially way through. And see, my expectation of Jesus' miraculous work and Jesus' healing and Jesus' presence is I pray today and it's done now. You see, when I, want to, when I want my faith strengthened, I want to bring a test before the Lord, and I want him to show me a sign. But yet God provides us this caution. Come on, don't let the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod and this demanding of these types of things and you focusing on what you don't have and what you really want right now. And so now here... Some of you may be in the midst of God's miraculous work in your life and you don't see it clearly right now. And what you need to know is this. If you can't see the Lord in the midst of your trial, he's not done yet. If it all doesn't make sense, he's not done yet. For some of us, it won't be done till heaven. But for others of us, maybe we'll have this privilege. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. For our God does all things well. Our God does all things things well. This is the only two-stage miracle that I am aware of. It's the only two-stage miracle that the gospel writers chose to record for us. And so if every other time Jesus healed and it happened like that, if every other time he healed and it happened like that, then why in the world this time? You need to be asking that question. Why is this time different? What is happening this time? What is Jesus trying to teach? What is Jesus trying to do? I would contend this. Jesus is actually presenting for his disciples a physical parable. For what they were seeing in front of them was the very thing that was happening inside of their hearts. You see, they saw Jesus, but they didn't quite see the Messiah yet. They saw Jesus for sure, and they knew he could work miracles, but they hadn't quite resolved the fact that he was the Son of God. How about you? What about me? How do we see Jesus? I feel like I can make out a little semblance here, but it kind of looks like trees walking right now. It kind of doesn't really 
I don't really have a full grasp of this. And kind of, if I had to be honest, I was actually letting a little leaven, a little leaven of other false teachers get into my theology. And what I see when I look at Jesus is kind of a, a smiley Jesus who just wants to be my friend, who's there for me any, any time that I want him. And then other times, I got to be honest with you, I see a frowny Jesus who just isn't happy with the world. And other times I look and I see an angry Jesus. And then there's times where I see a, a sappy Jesus. What kind of Jesus do you see? You see, in the first century church, and I don't think it's that much different today, they were looking for a politically savvy Jesus. They were looking for a political revolutionary Jesus. They had no problem seeing that that was, maybe this is the politically savvy Jesus who's going revol- to lead out the revolution that we've been asking for. Maybe you see the religious symbol, Jesus. He's a relic to you. Maybe you think of him as a caricature that's good for others. Maybe you think of him as just a virtuous teacher And what's the harm in sitting under his teachings because their minds were dull. Their minds were dull and their hearts were hard. They were focused on their desires, but the Lord was about to change it all. God offers the provision of faith. God offers the provision of faith. And the religious leaders and so many of us, we deny it by our demands. Then, then, then there's others of us who we sit here and like the disciples. We delude it by deception and we let false ideas of who Jesus is creep into our minds. And then, if we had to be honest, there's a dullness about us. But yet here this provision rests out before them. And it seems as if Jesus holds none of this against them. For look at verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a fascinating place for what's about to happen. This is like the pit again of pagan worship. And so Jesus literally goes into enemy territory for faith to be declared. Look at this. And Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asks his disciples another question. Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Their answers are absolutely fascinating here, and they told him, some say John the Baptist, which is, which is really crazy because they were both alive at the same time. Anybody? Anyone? Um, others say Elijah. That's a, fascinating, that's a fascinating thing for people to have thought. Others say one of the prophets, you know, maybe, maybe the prophet Jeremiah would have been a good guess. He was the weeping prophet. Who do others say that I am? 
Who do others say that I am? Some say this, others say that. Okay, guys, but now here's the question. Here's the question of all questions. Here's the question that will decide whether you actually receive the provision of faith or not. You can deny it, you can delay it, you can dilute it, or point four, you can declare it by faith. And he says to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus Christ to you? And Peter speaks up on behalf of the group and says, you're the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one. How in the world does this guy go from, I got one loaf of bread. I got one loaf of bread. I got one loaf of bread. How does he go from only got one loaf of bread to actually being warned and ignoring Jesus' charge to watch out for the leaven? How does he go from one loaf of bread to absorbing some of the leaven? How does he go from having eyes that look like they're only discerning a vision like trees? How does it happen? Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, Peter. But only our Father in heaven could make you aware of this. Matthew 16, 17. Jesus says to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Peter, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And so God the Father provides the provision of faith for us. And in the one moment, we can't see it. In one moment, we're not sure that it exists. And in the very next moment, Jesus Christ the Father, Father in heaven turns the light on. And some of you are trying to convince yourself with signs and you're trying to read the right book or you're trying to pump your loved one with the right information at the right time. And there's one way to reach the lost soul is to fall upon your knees and ask the Father to give them the provision of faith. It's to fall upon your knees and prove to your own self that you believe what it is that you say you believe. Let them see you on the floor. Let them see you weep before the Father on their behalf. For faith begets faith. Faith begets faith. And you're not going to believe when you get the provision. You're going to get the provision when you believe. Do you see it? And so we pray, and so we pray, and so we pray because we acknowledge this. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ is the predicted Messiah. For faith is the way we make rational sense of intangible things. But man, has God given us a lot of rational sense? How many prophecies does Jesus need to fulfill for you to get it? But I don't see, I don't see clear images yet. I feel like I still see trees. And I've tried to see. And all that I can see are people walking around like trees. Let me ask you this. Did Peter truly get 
the depth of what he was saying. Did Peter truly understand the depth of the truth that he was declaring? Absolutely not. Peter revealed truth. Peter grasped upon truth. Is what Peter declared true? Is what, he, is what he said true? Absolutely. Of course it's true. But Peter didn't fully understand. His knowledge was incomplete. He's still anticipating a political liberation and a revolution. He's going to go on with the disciples to debate amongst themselves who's the greatest. We're one or two chapters away from him literally going to Jesus and be like, hey, yo, can I sit on your right and your left hand? One or the, one or the other, either one's okay. In your what? In your, in your literal kingdom. I think in some respects it ought to give us a measure of reassurance to realize Peter grasped enough of the truth to declare something eternally divine that secured his soul, but he didn't get it all. The day was coming, Luke 24, when Jesus would take the scales completely off of his eyes and he would get the whole thing. And he would say, hey, yo, yo, it was me in the fiery furnace. It was me that the prophet spoke of. It was me who was in the den with the lions. It was me. Everything that was written of by the psalmist and the prophets was pointing to me, and he got it. Listen, listen. We all with unveiled, we all now look into a mirror dimly, but then face to face, we will see it. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this, Now I know in part, and then shall we know fully, even as I have been fully known. For Peter, the day would come when he would see it and fully understand, and the day will come for us as well. Does it not warm your heart to realize that you have not scraped the bottom of the depths of the reality of who Jesus is yet? Does it reassure you to know that your mind will be continually blown day after day after day after day after day if you're faithful to embrace the provision of faith? Your mind will be blown again tomorrow by who Jesus is, but yet this eternal truth prevails. Jesus Christ, behold, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that he went to the cross to die for your sin, was buried in a tomb, and rose the sign of Jonah three days later, and then he ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father, and now he offers unto you the provision of faith. If you'll receive it, he says, you will be saved. Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this truth that Jesus is the Christ, I will build my church. The foundation of this room rests upon this truth, Jesus Christ. 
is the Savior of the world. And some of us in this room, we've denied, we've delayed, we've allowed the dullness of our senses to keep us from declaring this truth that will rest your soul secure for all eternity. And I say this, ask for faith. Don't ask for a sign, ask for faith. I believe it's an, a prayer that the Lord will answer every time. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us the faith that we need, that you, Lord God, by the means of provision, that you would fill our hearts with devotion, with commitment, with understanding. Lord God, turn the light on. Father, drop us to our knees that we would pray for those whom we love the most. Father, may we have a heart of compassion for the world. Father, we've given our lives to this because we believe this. We believe that eternity hangs in the balance. And so, Lord God, we cry out on your behalf that you would save those in this room who need this provision of faith. Grant it to them. Grant it to them. Supernaturally, in this moment, awaken their souls to this. Cause them to see beyond the one loaf of bread. To see the abundant table that you've set before them, Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.